You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Hobbs and Shaw, and our interview with the costume designer behind that film, Sarah Evelyn. I'm dealing with the future of the planet. I'm the necessary shock to the system. I am human evolutionary change. Bulletproof. Superhuman. Who the hell are you? Bad guy. The mission has been compromised. We need help. Our target's name is Brixton. He's a ghost. We're gonna need the best trackers in the business. Luke Hobbs. I'm what you call an ice-cold can of whoop-ass. Career lawman. Always gets his guy. We're gonna need to operate outside the system. Deckard Shaw. I'm what you might call a champagne problem. Rogue former MI6 agent. Doesn't play well with others. If we stand a chance against Brixton, you guys have to work together. No way. This guy's a real ass. Stealth. Look at you. I'm trying to save the world, which, for the record, will be my fourth time. Because I'm really good at it. You have no idea what we're dealing with. Hobbs and Shaw. Shocks will kill a man. There we go. It's a bad guy's speech. You had to open your big mouth, didn't you, huh? Yeah, I thought it was a cool thing to say in the moment. All right, everyone, you were listening to the trailer for Fast and Furious Presents Hobbs and Shaw, and the story is as follows. Ever since hulking lawman Hobbs, a loyal agent of America's diplomatic security service and lawless outcast Shaw, a former British military elite operative first faced off in 2015's Furious 7, the duo have swapped small talk and body blows as they've tried to take each other down. But when cybergenetically enhanced anarchist Brixton gains control of an insidious biothreat that could alter humanity forever and bests a brilliant and fearless rogue MI6 agent who just happens to be Shaw's sister, these two sworn enemies will have to partner up to bring down the only guy who might be badder than themselves. The film is starring Dwayne Johnson, Jason Statham, Idris Elba, Vanessa Kirby, and Helen Mirren is directed by David Leach and written by Chris Morgan and Drew Pierce. Joining me for this podcast review, I have Cody Derricks. Uh, vroom, vroom. 
help. Fasten your seatbelts, fellas. It is going to be a bumpy ride. You know, hearing that that plot synopsis, I just want to remind everyone this franchise started in the very first Fast and the Furious. They were recovering stolen DVD players. Just to put things in perspective, how far this franchise has come in terms of blowing up its story and the stakes and the probability. It's really a marvel. Well, let's take a moment to uh, talk about that for a second because yeah. technically speaking, this is considered a Fast and the Furious movie. It takes place within the same universe, same characters. However, there is this weird thing going on where Vin Diesel and Dwayne Johnson uh, are kind of at ends with each other, or at, at odds with each other, and Dwayne is arguably the biggest movie star in the entire world, and he feels, you know what? I don't need the rest of the cast. I'm going to go and just do my own thing with this character that you know, I kind of help make into my own. And yeah, fuck them. <laughs> right, because both he and Statham are executive producers on this movie. I noticed that. Oh, it shows. Mm-hmm. It really shows. Yeah, I mean, they, they have a pretty evenly, I'm sure you could time it down to the minute. Their screen time is probably pretty equal. And I know they have like those contracts where they can like stipulate how many punches they land on each other, like that kind of thing. It's that kind of, you know... Really um, healthy masculinity that's on display here in this movie. There's a lot of adrenaline, a pumping masculinity mm-hmm. in this film. I mean, this is the kind of movie that, you know, if you're like a teenage boy and you're into action movies, like this is for you <laughs> through and through. Um, here's the other thing, too, about it, though. One thing I noticed about this more so than any of the other uh, movies that these two characters have been a part of in this franchise so far is that because I think of the executive producer aspect so much of who these two are as personas, as people, as brands comes through in this movie. It doesn't feel like we're seeing the same characters, Hobbs and Shaw, that were introduced in the Fast and Furious films. This literally feels like, hey, you're paying to see Dwayne Johnson and Jason Statham. Well, here's Dwayne Johnson and Jason Statham, as you all know imagine and love them as you know what i mean exactly yeah because well because neither of them have a character that really exists beyond their own persona in real life i mean like the rocks uh, sorry dwayne johnson's character is really just you know like you said in the plot synopsis hulking and we see him just constantly eating and lifting weights and then jason statham is just like you know cockney and he's constantly in pubs it's like it's very stereotypical, but in a way that they signed off on, so it's not offensive, I guess. No, it's very interesting because, like I said, it's like at, at this point in both of their careers, right? They're not what I would consider actor actors. I, I would agree. I would I would say that the Vin Diesel definitely falls more into that category, and he's not here, so. right? You know, I think when you choose to go see a Jason Statham or Dwayne Johnson movie that is headlined by one of them, you're not choosing to see either one of these guys play a character on screen. You're just choosing to go see it because it's them, plain and simple. Yeah, going into this movie, I forgot, and I've seen every single Fast and the Furious movie, I forgot which one was Hobbs and which one was Shaw. Oh my god. And it doesn't matter. It does not <laughs> It really matter. doesn't, actually. They could have just called this movie Dwayne and Jason, and <laughs> yeah. it would not have been far <laughs> off from the truth. Because so much of the Hobbs character now, I feel like, is no longer a character. It really is Dwayne, like you said. 
um, the aspects of him constantly right, I forgot eating. that he was like a cop, all that stuff. Yeah, like he's constantly eating these, uh, you know, like the pancakes and stuff. Like The Rock does that on his Instagram. Or yes, exactly. working out in the gym wearing these, uh, you know, his band t-shirts. That's what Dwayne Johnson does. You know, it's like so much of it. Even the third act when they go to Samoa at the end, it's like, I feel like Dwayne is not a screenwriter on this movie. I mean, I know he's not, but it feels like he is. It, it feels like one of those things where I'm sure executive producer is a catch-all term for, I also design my own costumes and I, you know, I changed this fight to have this many punches in my face, that kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. Which, I mean, if you're that rich and you are banking on yourself and you know you you will make money, just your name, I don't really blame him because it's, you know, part of maintaining an image that he knows will make money. Um, doesn't mean it's not obnoxious, but still, again, he, you know, he is a brand and he knows how to market himself. But Jason Statham, too. Yeah, exactly. You know, the first half of this movie takes place entirely in London. It sure does. London with nothing but blue filters on it. It's like the first half belongs to Jason. The middle is kind of, you know, just both of them. And then the ending belongs to Dwayne. That's true. That's a good, that's a, that's a pretty, I mean, it's basic three act structure, but that's a nice division of, you know, being able to follow the story. Like we're going to go from one place to another to another and they make sense thematically with the characters. And, you know, I got to give this movie a little bit of credit because I do think that there are some things that the movie gets uh, right on occasion. So one of the things that I was most excited for about this movie was the uh, hiring of uh, director David Leach, who gave us uh, the first John Wick. He co-directed that one. And uh, most recently, he has done Atomic Blonde in, and Deadpool 2. So naturally, I was very, very excited to see this. I thought the trailer gave away too much. In yeah. terms of the action set pieces. that Exactly. I agree. There were some moments uh, throughout the movie where I was like, man, that's so cool. I really wish I could have been surprised. And I didn't know that this was coming from the trailer. Like The Rock pulling a Captain America and trying to hold on to a freaking helicopter. Yeah, with Jesus. Oh, my God. My audience was losing its freaking <laughs> mind by that point. Well, but even still, some moments that were, I mean, there wasn't really an explosive moment that wasn't in the trailer. There wasn't anything I was like, wow, I'm glad they hid that from us. Uh, at the same time, for example, that moment where the motorcycle slides under the truck and it configures itself and then it gets back on the motorcycle, that was still cool to see on the big screen. You know, that wasn't something I was like, I, there wasn't a huge loss for me because of the trailer. Mm-hmm. Um, and the David Leach factor, that really shines through because the absolute star of this movie is the combat, is the hand-to-hand stuff, is the stuff on bikes. It's all That's all by far the highlight of the movie. When they focus on practical effects exactly. and the hand-to-hand combat, this movie is awesome. I do have a little bit of an issue with sometimes the hand-to-hand combat where uh, and maybe because I'm paying attention to this stuff a lot more now. I watched this video on uh, YouTube uh, from Corridor about how visual effects artists will react to certain things. And they brought mm-hmm. like this stunt man on. And he was pointing out in like in fight scenes now, uh, something that I'm just noticing a lot more is when stars maybe are late for their marks. And the stuntmen, instead of um, making it look chaotic and frantic, like they're all like they were authentically planning to attack they're waiting for the stars to hit their mark so they know to come in for the next move and stuff so there were times while watching this where i felt like that was happening and the timing just felt a little weird but every blow and every shot is very impactful and david leach he to his credit doesn't do multiple edits shaky camera it's all really wide it's well choreographed to the point that you can like clearly see what is going on exactly all the time and like all that's great 
I really think that the visual effects, though, of this movie are pretty bland. Oh, at times. by the time we got to Samoa at the end, it it felt like a video game. You know, like the yeah. the the obvious green screen and the slow motion and the lack of focus. That's when I felt like they had to perfunctorily kind of do a car thing because it's what Fast and Furious is known for. That's not the first time they do a car thing in the movie, but it's definitely the craziest. Yeah. Um, you know, and again, this is in the trailer, but not really giving it away, but when they do like the, I called it the human centipede of trucks, mm-hmm. it was just, you know, nothing really um, realistic. <laughs> not that I go into these movies for realism, but at the same time, because the first half is so focused on the hand-to-hand combat, like the scene when Jason Statham is in Vanessa Kirby's apartment, that's really yeah. cool. Or the just the opening with the champagne bottle, that's really mm-hmm creative and fun to watch and then the ending was and the lighting so. too uh during mm-hmm. some of those scenes yes, you know yes. like david leach's uh visual style yeah. is very pronounced and i really really like that some aspects like from for example like atomic blonde and john wick sh- uh shine through here you know exactly the light the lighting in the apartment was really cool with that changing neon or led light i don't know what it was but it just really brought uh you know nice contrast to the fight in what otherwise probably looks like a pretty boring apartment so I like all of that. I really, really like how well the principal actors were utilized in this movie. Uh, like like we already said, Jason Statham from The Rock, it's one of those things where if you know who they like are and their personas that they've like cultivated like over the years, then you know exactly what you're going to be getting from them. Oh, but yeah. to their credit, like Vanessa Kirby and uh, Idris Elba, I thought were equally just as badass and fun to watch on screen as the two main stars. Oh, yeah. Idris Elba's a pro. I mean, you could tell he was having fun. You could tell he um, knew exactly what kind of movie he was in. You know, he was the sneering, calculating villain with, like, a British gravitas. He was having a great time. And Vanessa Kirby is a star. I loved her in this. I thought she... Oh, she's like, amazing. Yeah, she she brought a realism to the character. I mean, just the scenes where they're interrogating her and she's in close-up. You can see that she's actually giving weight and moment and intention to these lines that are silly. But she's, you know, using every aspect in her actorly toolbox from her facial expressions to her voice. And, like, I mean, that's, you know, very basic. That's what acting is, praise. But at the same time, in these movies, you don't go in necessarily expecting that. So to see that is is just nice. Yeah, I mean, I really, really enjoyed her a lot in this movie. What I didn't really enjoy was kind of this forced romantic angle they chose to take between her and Dwayne in this. I I just was like... Even the movie seemed embarrassed by the. Okay, I guess yeah. this is a spoiler, but who cares? By the time they kiss at the end, Dwayne Johnson and Vanessa Kirby, even the screenwriting is like, okay, we're not going to do that again. And at yeah. that point, it's like, who is this for? You know, I'm nobody wanted to see this. It didn't change anything about the movie. It didn't change anything even about the climax. It's not like Dwayne was like, no, I have to protect Vanessa. It didn't make a difference. It's just teen boy fantasy wish fulfillment. That's really all it just comes down to. But as a former teen boy, that did not, you know, make or break the movie. Listen, there's a place for it in this world, you know, and I think you can do a lot worse than Hobbs and Shaw, in my opinion. Oh, my God. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I meant specifically the the romance angle was not something that me as a teenager needed to see. To the film's credit, though, I also do think that they don't overly uh, sexualize her. I think that she actually is someone who comes across as uh, very, very strong. She's her own individual character. She has an emotional weight component to the story. And yeah, Vanessa Kirby, she knocks it out of the park. Toe to toe with The Rock and, you know, kicks his ass. 
Yeah, they have a really fun fight scene. I yeah, actually really do. enjoyed that a lot. Even though I kept wondering, I feel like he could just like snap his fingers and like, you know, break a bone in her body. <laughs> now, know? one thing I didn't love about her casting was the um, suspect age difference between her and the two male leads. Because mm-hmm. we're supposed to assume that um, Jason Statham and Vanessa Kirby knew each other as children. We even see footage of them in flashback as seemingly the same age. But in real life, they are, let me see. Oh, it's they like are, 25, 25 <laughs> yeah, year 20, age difference. 22, I think, between Jason Statham Something and crazy Vanessa like Kirby. That, yeah. And um, I believe even more for the, oh no, less for The Rock. But still, I mean, a generation apart. So the... The romance between the, uh, Dwayne Johnson and Vanessa Kirby is one thing, but the fact that we're supposed to believe that Jason Statham and Vanessa Kirby are um, colleagues in a way, age-wise, is frankly ridiculous. But, I mean, this franchise is nothing if not blatantly ridiculous and kind of revels in that. So ridiculous. I mean, when you have uh, Idris Elba, you know, saying a line, I'm the black Superman, mm-hmm. it's like, okay. Uh, did <laughs> you right. know he was originally supposed to say, I'm the black James Bond, but he refused because of all the, you know... Oh, good, good for him. Him being James Bond. I agree. I wouldn't want to say that either. That's just tipping your hand too hard. You know, and there's a lot of like things in this where I just was like shaking my head, like looking at the screen, like, what? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. because of how ridiculous and over the top it gets at times. Like, one thing that uh, really makes me laugh when I watched it uh, was The Rock. Uh, at the end of the film, when they get to like Samoa, he starts off like with his shirt off, uh, and they all like charge in, and they're like beating the crap out of everybody and stuff. And then for no reason, uh, you know, obviously there's a practical reason, but like he just decides to put a shirt back on. Well, he takes off his like Samoan skirt and then has full pants underneath. <laughs> Okay, And this is something that I actually talked to the costume designer about, uh, which is an interview that I'm going to also uh, include on this uh, review here. Uh, and they, they did talk about like how there is a practical element to why you have to do stuff like that sometimes. And, you know, it's like things you got to get around in the show. Oh, yeah. like, I'm sure continuity wise, it's important and all sorts yeah. of stuff like that. It's just my audience did have a chuckle. At that. Yeah. You know what um, I got a couple chuckles out of, but it really, really overstayed its welcome. I don't know how far you want to get into this, but there are two highly overdone cameos in yes, this movie. no, I... That have been completely hidden from the marketing. Right. And it's very apparent when you watch it that they're doing this as a favor to other people that are involved in the movie because they're friends. Mm-hmm. And it was too tongue-in-cheek, too cute overly written in my opinion like and that's a problem i have with the whole movie in general it feels like every single line is overly scripted to the point that it does come off just completely silly but these two scenes in particular was yeah they were just way too overdone it's that general kind of jokey action screenwriting it's very self-aware yeah. it's very over the top and ridiculous it's weirdly kind of Reminiscent of like 90s action screenwriting. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's just kind of the vibe I get from it. But yeah, specifically these two cameos. The first one I didn't mind so much. Um, it did kind of overstay its welcome, but the first scene where we see this person was uh, not horrible. The second cameo, uh, both a combination of who the person is and what they've been up to in the real world and just I think kind of just oversaturation in general the air in my theater felt like it got sucked out when he appeared it was just like oh we're really doing this see I didn't mind it at first I was like oh wow like the movie is now starting to surprise me because we already got one surprise cameo here's another what else is this movie gonna do but the scene itself in terms of the banter went on for way 
way too like the joke got overplayed and the the situation was unrealistic which i know is a strange note for this movie but it's a small thing that would not happen in real life and when your film is uh two hours and 15 minutes long and it is supposed to be like this adrenaline pumping action thrill ride it halts the momentum in my opinion a little too much because it also doesn't really serve anything to the story it's just an excuse to have these actors have fun on screen yeah, I wish if they were really going to do that, then they really dug into it and made it like almost a 60s style ensemble comedy where like celebrities will pop up everywhere. Just like really dig into that uh, pastiche. Yeah. But having it be only two was kind of strange. <laughs> yeah. And then um, there's another one, but this might be for, you know, some people will understand this, other people won't. But like then there's a WWE superstar at the end of the movie who oh, is yeah, that was highlighted a lot. Okay. No speaking lines of dialogue or anything like that, but they do like their wrestling power moves and stuff that, you know, if you, if you follow that industry, you you know, like, this is like, that's this person's gotcha. like signature stuff. I do stuff. not, but it didn't distract me. Like, it wasn't like a strange what He's is happening He's Dwayne's cousin, moment. too, in real life. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, so there's, there's a, you know, I think if you're not aware of it, it's fine, but if you are aware of it, it just kind of comes off as... uh I don't know. It's like just too self-serving almost at times, you know? It's it, it harkens back to what we were saying about they're not playing characters, they're playing themselves. Exactly. And that kind of just takes the belie- believability out of it for me a little. Uh, but then again, I'm coming into this looking for a totally different angle. I think people who enjoy who these um, people, Dwayne and Jason and you know everyone else, are in real life, they'll get their money's worth out of this. Because, like oh, for yeah. example, if you, if you love interacting with the rock on instagram and you love getting snapshots into what his life is like this is like his life the movie exactly <laughs> you know? no totally. just turned up to a hundred <laughs> right and i can't really fault the movie for that you know it's giving the audience what they ostensibly want which is right. you know fine yeah now another thing uh, that i will say i really liked about this movie uh this might actually be my number one be all end all someone to ask me hey matt what's your favorite thing about hobbs and shaw it's this the editing by Christopher Rouse in this, I thought was extremely fun and inspired at times. Like the introductions for both Dwayne and Jason in this movie is like this really well done split screen montage of like what their morning routine is like. And I I, I credit David Leach a little bit too for the stylistic choice of uh, showing it this way. But I really thought, you know, the editing in this was pretty solid at times. Yeah, that was enjoyable. And the pace of the movie is genuinely pretty good. You know, it doesn't sag. Um, And again, everything for the most part in the action editing is pretty clear. The geography and the the distance between characters, we know where everybody is at the same time. The only time that was an issue for me was when they were driving around what I think was supposed to be Chernobyl. <laughs> That's when I, I kind of got a little lost and uh, the 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 clarity of direction and who was following who was a little bit lost on me, which might just be me, but that was the only moment of uh, maybe questionable editing. But other than that, yeah, the pace and the clarity was pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a couple of other like little side things that I have about this uh, that I'll mention in final thoughts that are you know, not really all that important, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, like, I, like we said, it's not deep, it's silly, it's over the top. And if that's the sort of thing that you're looking for, great. Uh, I think that there have been other movies that have done this, that do it a little bit better, you know, stuff like, you know, even Deadpool, for example, Sure. you know, very self-aware, very over the top. 
there's very obvious references to the Terminator. I mean, they even say that yeah. in regards to Idris Elba's character, and it kind of made me just want to watch that instead. <laughs> but at the same time, the fact that they pointed it out, it's kind of like, well, you're calling your shot, so I have to respect that. Idris Elba's motorcycle in this is so cool. That was cool. And I, I, I liked the unrealistic te- technology across the board from the the guns that don't fire unless the certain uh, glove sensor is attached to it. And I everything guess. involving <laughs> Idris Elba and Vanessa Kirby's kind of biometric uh, like video game HUD abilities, practically. I liked all that. That was just, you know, leaning into the silliness. I liked all that, too, especially when we get to the final fight scene where uh, they're doing like Sherlock Holmes, like slow motion <laughs> contact shots. Oh, yeah, that was pretty cool. I I, loved and, it. And the stars allowed themselves to look a little silly. You know, their faces, it wasn't perfect movie star moments. They looked beat up. And I, again, I have to respect that a little bit, even knowing that in the real world, they have a firm hand on how they're allowed to look in every movie. Now, I got to ask you this question, and I apologize that I don't know the exact term for it. Uh-huh. But, Cody, who do you think okay. is the supervillain behind the computer thing that is uh commanding Idris oh yeah um here's the thing i've seen every single fast and the furious movie i saw them in one city (laughs) so my knowledge of character names and motivations and plot points is a little muddy at best so i don't remember what villains are still out there because it has to be somebody we've met already right that's what I'm guessing, too, because I think they want it to be a surprise. Unless, here's the thing, maybe we meet somebody in Fast and Furious 9, and then in Hobbs and Shaw 2, if that happens, then this character is used in that. Because I can't, off the top of my head, think about who it could possibly be. Yeah, I don't know. And I, I also know. don't know, too, how far they're going to go to try and connect it to the other Fast and the Furious films, like we said before, now that Vin Diesel clearly wants to do his own thing and feels like he doesn't need the rock in order to do it so i'm wondering who else you know is willing to kind of play both sides you know yeah. I'll, I'll still star in the vin diesel movies but you know i'll, I'll make an appearance in the next hobbs and shaw movie because clearly we have to have a sequel that's what this movie uh, is built on yeah and on that note i gotta say the goal of the movie to have the message of the film be all right guys come on put aside your differences you gotta work together reads a little false when in the real world this movie practically exists and caused a rift between two major movie stars it almost sounds like a fuck it's a little maybe but also i think it just reads as a little bit like false but also you don't go into this kind of movie for the message. So also too, uh, very interesting and creative use of the one F bomb that they get to use in this movie. Oh yeah. I really, really like that on. moment too. So there, there, there's some like, there is some good stuff here. I was never bored. I'll say that. Which no, is no, I was not. I, I definitely got annoyed at times because of how silly it really did start to get. And also too, like, uh, we were talking about before the emotional connection piece. Like I didn't care if, Dwayne and Jason, you know, actually work together. I didn't care about the relationship between Vanessa Kirby and Jason Statham as uh, siblings. Like, I didn't care about Dwayne and Vanessa Kirby's uh, romantic relationship. You know, I'm just watching it now at this point for some comedic lines here and there and, you know, some adrenaline pumping action. And there were times where it did deliver and there there are times where it does not. 
But the franchise isn't incapable of those emotional beats. I Again, I point to Furious 7 as an example of really good, really well-directed action filmmaking across the board and really good emotional directing. Now, granted, part of that is because of one of the stars died in real life and gets this amazing send-off. But at the same time, that shows that they have the abilities and the care to direct and write well, um, believable emotional moments. So I kind of wish they maybe were able to do that in this one, but at the same time, it kind of reads like they didn't really care. And again, people are going into this expecting what they expect, so I can't really fault them for that. Hey, just remember, Vin Diesel thought that Fury 7 should be nominated for Best Picture. You know what? Worst movies have been nominated for Best Picture. That's all I'll say. (laughs) (laughs) All right. uh, Final thoughts on Hobbs and Shaw. Uh, What final thoughts do you have, Cody? Anything that we did not talk about? Um, I basically covered everything. You're gonna, you know exactly what you're gonna think of this movie before you go in. I basically graded it beforehand, <laughs> practically, and I was not incorrect. But that being said, I didn't not like it. I had a fun time. It's right in the middle of the Furious franchise, so if you like those movies, it's definitely worth checking out. It's definitely better than I'd say a good three or four of them. And so overall, I'm giving it a six out of ten. All right, all right, not bad. Not bad, all things considered. Uh, a couple of different uh, things I want to just say here is... What did I not mention? I noticed something um, they in They quote Nietzsche at one point, which is something I was not expecting from this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I think my favorite line in the movie is when uh, they establish... Like, Dwayne's like, I'm lovable. Like, everybody loves me. And then he compliments this woman he's sitting next to on the plane. He's like, I love you, babushka. Yeah. <laughs> and she gives him, like, this <laughs> smile. Oh, that was really fantastic. There's so many like really good self-aware moments here mm-hmm. that play into who like these two stars are. That's uh, really well done. Oh, I didn't mention Helen Mirren. My, I'm so sorry. Oh, Helen oh Helen, yeah. She's good in this. Uh, she, uh, sure. She, I, to know, me, she's she just was, there. She's just there. She's doing a Cockney accent. I always like the idea of uh, the, the character who, for some reason, is in jail but is completely made up, hair done, is you know seemingly has a command on the jail herself she gets out of those handcuffs real fast I, yeah. it's just fun to watch she's doing her job um i always love watching eddie marzen pop up as someone in a movie because it's like amazing like how many different types of uh, accents and side characters like he he is a really fantastic oh, yeah, character actor yeah right yeah and so it's like you know He's not a leading man or anything like that, but I'm always like, oh, look, it's Eddie Marson. You yeah, know? He's working. Good for him. Exactly. Um, there is this one character that is completely pointless uh, that does absolutely nothing in this. Uh, Isa Gonzalez, who plays like this Russian mobster, I guess, who makes out with Jason Statham and then disappears throughout the rest of the movie. Why do I literally not remember that? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. They basically like go to her for help. And he, like, kisses her when he sees her, and everybody's like, were you expecting that? Nope. Whatever. And then she just disappears, and it's like, what was the point of that? So there's, like, weird little things like that in here. (laughs) Um, There is a jab taken at the ending to Game of Thrones, which I still take issue with to this day, but, you know, Uh, again, forced, you know, it was forced. Hey, you know what? Logan Lucky did it pretty well, I thought. (laughs) Uh, but overall, I would give this one a 5 out of 10. Split down the middle on this one. Uh, for everything they got right, there was something in there that just like rubbed me the wrong way or it just didn't feel like it fit. It felt overindulgent at times. 
and silly and so on and so forth. But as we said before, this is the kind of movie where you really get exactly what it is that you're expecting. So if you're expecting this to be a miserable time for you and this is just not your sort of thing, then it's exactly going to be that. And if you just want to go and, you know, watch a very breezy action film that doesn't ask much of you and you just want to have a good time, I think that you can still get with this too. Yeah, I mean, don't see this if you're not going to like it, and you already know you're not going to like it. So there you go. <laughs> don't waste your time if you're not going to like it. Exactly. Uh, no Oscar potential at no, all. No way. No, the fact that none of them have got nominated yet, um, I, I, I think there's some room for sound design in there eventually maybe, and the Furious 7 song really should have gotten nominated that Furious year. 7's uh, See You Again should have yeah. won. And that, that horrible lineup for best song that year, there's there was absolutely room at the table for it. You could tell they just had a bias against both maybe the type of song and the franchise. Yeah, that was a that was kind of a that was really annoying. Uh, but you know, we move on, we get over it, and we look forward to uh, what is going to be the ninth uh, Fast and the Furious film at some point. I, I can't wait. I, and I really wait. hope they get to uh, when they get to like the the tenth film. I just want them to use the word Fast Ten, so it's Fasten something oh. like. Fasten your seatbelts. <laughs> right, because they can't really do a pun with nine. You know, they did the fate of the Furious for the last one. Right. I don't know. I'll think about it. I'll, I'll let them know. You know, maybe they could do like the Furious nine. I don't know. Okay. Something like that. Anyway, Cody, where can they find you on the internet? All right. You can find me everywhere. Instagram, Literaboxed, Twitter at CodyMonster91. And check out my horror movie podcast. You can find us at Halloweeners Pod. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to our review of Fast and the Furious Presents Hobbs and Shaw here on the Next Best Picture podcast. But don't go anywhere right now. We actually have an interview coming up with the costume designer for Hobbs and Shaw. 15-minute conversation that I had uh, with Sarah, and I really, really hope you all can stick around to uh, listen to it. Thank you so much for listening to us, as always, and here is my conversation with Sarah. Get in the car. We're all going. No, you. I said... We're all going. Oh, come on. You might want to just... Is he doing what I think he's doing? Yeah. I was on survival. 64. Cowboy up. All right, everyone. I'm being joined right now by Sarah Evelyn, the costume designer for the new Fast and the Furious film, Hobbs and Shaw. Sarah, how are you today? I'm good. How about you? I'm great. I'm great. You know, I'm feeling pretty good, all things considered. Got the adrenaline pumping through the veins. Had a lot of fun watching the movie. I mean, how could you not, you know, when you have that much action and just machoism on the screen from <laughs> these exactly. stars, you know? Uh, so I, I, I want to first start off by asking you, you're a costume designer, and in, in our world, uh, especially over at Next Best Picture, we focus a lot on award season, so costume design is very, very important. However, they, it, you know, it usually tends to focus around fantasy films or period films. So as someone who worked on the costumes for this movie set more in the modern era, mm -hmm. what is the approach you know, when you're tackling a, a modern era set film? Is it different? Is it the same? Mm -hmm. uh, if any insight you can provide to our audience out there, because I tell you, I don't think modern day costuming gets a fair shake from people. I mean, I definitely agree, although you really have to appreciate the effort and the like finesse that has to go in that goes into period and like fantasy stuff. But I actually think you start in the same place. I mean, you really start with the characters, the director, your actor, what the film is saying. And ultimately, I think 
think I'm a very research oriented designer. So I do two things like one, I really research what the entire look of the film is going to be, how my clothes can look right on the characters in the environments. Right. So they feel like they belong there. And um, and also like I'm always historically driven no matter what. So just for example, like with Brixton, he had this very futuristic motorcycle suit. But the first thing I did was go to, you know, more traditional motorcycle suits than the evolution of the technology in motorcycle suits than where motorcycle suits are going. Because I feel like it's both the character, um, the actual character on the film, like the narrative on the of the film, even if it's an action movie and um, this sort of like aesthetic direction that everyone's going in that ends up really grounding this clothing. So it doesn't just look like nice clothing on good looking people. Yeah. And definitely a very good looking cast. I believe there's even uh, more than a few lines in the movie uh, related to a couple of characters where they're, they're admitting to each other that they're good looking. So well, what can you do? Getting a chance to uh, dress them up must be a lot of fun. Yeah. Sticking with the uh, characters and the people here. Um, these are very, very big name stars in this yeah. movie. And I'm curious to know how much of a say they have in what they get to wear. Is there like sometimes, uh, you know, sponsorship involved that you have to navigate around or like things like that in their contract? Mm-hmm. There can be. There wasn't necessarily in this case. But like, I mean, I think like, yes, the bigger an actor you are, often like the bigger your brand is. And, you know, you're like really uh, very invested in making sure that you're sort of putting out whatever is in line with that. So that's one. But you're an actor is always a collaborator. I mean, I think best case scenario, your actor is your collaborator and their clothes, you know, like whether it's physical, this feels like my character or it's visual, this feels like my character. You really want I think that you want that back and forth with someone, you know, you want to be developing this character together and clothing. It's not just aesthetic. It also actually is very physical. Like, how do I feel when I move in this? Or I can't, I can't move in this or, you know, whatever that is like, yes, like all those guys are really big collaborators in different ways. But, but I think that's just being, I mean, I think that's part of being a good actor. You know, I think that's part of being like, yeah, a good actor. Mm hmm. Absolutely. You mentioned before Idris Elba's uh, motorcycle attire that he wears in this, and it's like kind of a mixture of practical versus also a little bit of fantastical because there's uh, technology built into it that's not quite of this time. (laughs) So uh, can you tell me a little bit about the design behind that? Because I I thought that was by far one of the coolest looks of the entire film. Oh, thanks. Um, (laughs) Well, we worked really hard on that. And it it was it was like a really cool process to go through with both David Leach, the director and um, the, you know, the production designer and Idris. We uh, we knew we wanted some sort of superhero character. But what was that superhero going to look like inside of this world? And after a whole bunch of R&D, we got to the sketch, right? But then after the sketch, like between sketch and realization, actually there's a whole lot of design right there. Like you might have one idea in your mind, but depending how you can get it built or who can build it, it really sort of fleshes out that idea. So I was super fortunate to come into contact with this amazing like artisan duo named Whitaker Malum. And they actually used to have, they, they specialize in leather. They've actually worked a 
lot on um, superhero costumes, like especially some of the early ones. They work with, they did a lot of stuff for Angelina Jolie Malef- in Maleficent. So they're like real artists. And they also come from the fashion world, which really interests me. And they put together this technique, this leather working technique that was like um, molded onto a a life cast. And it was so beautiful that, you know, David and I saw, David, the director and I saw that, saw saw the work they did. And it was just completely evident that that's what our motorcycle suit was going to be made out of. Mm -hmm. So yes, we got to a concept with the sketch and then in building it, I feel like that really, um, sort of built out for us what this was about, what this was going to look like, what direction this motorcycle suit was going to take, which I think ultimately was like modern and luxe and very, you know, I mean, I feel like chic and sleek and super cool. Yeah. Another character in this movie uh, played by Vanessa Kirby, uh, you know, this is a very like I said, action oriented kind of like what one might even consider just a quote unquote guy movie, you know, in many ways. However, uh, you have this other character here who is also very tough, very capable, handling herself. And, uh, you know, there's, I guess, sometimes maybe a tendency to make those characters in these types of films, like, overly centralized uh, for a male audience. Can Mm -hmm. you talk to me about, like, the delicate balance that one must strike in tackling a character like that and targeting it towards a certain demographic? Right. Well, I mean, I think, again, I had a total collaborator in Vanessa Kirby who was very clear on who her character was and who her character Mm -hmm. was in this world. And we just didn't lean into like we leaned into great silhouettes and modern looking silhouettes. But I don't think we leaned into the typical like action tropes for a woman. And, you know, so we used a lot of like beautiful turtlenecks and we had this one great amazing like designer chloe coat but it's not that usual like necessary i mean i don't i don't want to call anyone usual but it's not like the leather trench that might the tight leather trench that might be like the arc you know the the go-to for the woman action archetype right um and so that i felt like that gave this gave the character like a strength And I think like a fashion forward sexiness without Mm -hmm. making it about being very sexualized. Exactly. You know, like I definitely feel like this was a woman who dressed well, who had like a fashion direction, who looked great. So she's strong and sexy, but she's not. Yeah, she's not like overtly sexualized, which to me is more sexy anyways. Yeah, no, I I completely agree. I've seen the opposite before yeah. and I've, I've seen countless movies that go that route but I never yeah. got that while watching this one so it's a credit to you uh, and also to Vanessa Kirby as well in that collaboration yeah. like you were saying I gotta know did Dwayne Johnson specifically choose which bands he wanted to highlight on some of his shirts in some of these scenes <laughs> it was a conversation it for sure was a conversation he is very music oriented oriented you know you Mm -hmm. can tell that like music moves him and he knows a lot about music and um you know I feel like sometimes we would use music in our fittings to listen to to get more into the character so yes like he he definitely had ideas and opinions about what bands that he would want on his shirt for sure and it was a conversation between him and David Leach and you know the whole team yeah, it really also kind of helps to uh, in, enliven the character a little bit. It's like, oh, yeah. well, he listens to that. I listen to that, too. You know, it makes him much more relatable yeah, in that yeah, way. Yeah, no, definitely. It, like, flushes him out. Yeah, for sure. 
that he definitely, you know, he, again, he was a great collaborator. He really had thoughts about like, you know, the number seven t-shirt that he wears at the end. Like that was a whole thought. Okay. What would be on a t-shirt, you know, that I'd be wearing in Samoa that maybe we got at the corner store or maybe, you know. Mm -hmm. Talking about Samoa for a minute here, Mm -hmm. that third act. Mm -hmm. It's like just totally different. The film uh, starts off in London. You got these sleek suits and everything mm-hmm. for uh, the Jason Statham character. But then all of a sudden, it's like we're in Samoa. And now you've got to dress all of these guys mm-hmm. in culturally uh, appropriate but modern attire mm-hmm. uh, that fits the style that I, I imagine Dwayne had a very, very heavy influence on. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah. Well, Dwayne was really excited to do Samoa. And, you know, it was really important to everyone in the production that we did a more authentic Samoa, like that we made the Samoa look like what Samoa might really look like. So we actually had a consultant that would help us make sure that we were sort of getting all the nuances right. And um, yeah, it was awesome. I mean, just learning about like the lava lavas and the traditional dress, it was some of my favorite stuff and like how these guys sort of like, you know, combine what you'd imagine a normal guy in the U.S. wearing with more traditional garments like the Lava Lava. Like one of my most, and we worked with a lot of guys that were Samoan. So you saw how these guys just like wore it in their everyday and how they had this like swag and this, they're this like stilo, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And it turns out that like the Lava Lava, which is a piece of fabric that you like tie over your shorts or whatever, that's like, I mean, it depends what your lava lava looks like, but like there's one form of it that's like chilling out in your sweatpants, like your lava lava. It's like American equivalent to like a dude in sweats. Yeah. And I just love that. You know, I mean, there really was like there was really was a lot of soul to that portion of the filming. And there was like a whole lot of um, pride and like generosity and just like sharing about the culture. I mean, it's a really very beautiful, beautiful culture. So. Yeah, it was awesome. Oh, I, I can only imagine. Yeah. Uh, last question. In dealing with practicality, uh, there's a lot of sequences in this movie where there's a lot of hand-to-hand combat. Uh, obviously, a lot of movement is required. So I imagine you got to put them in clothes that they feel comfortable moving around in and also can move around in. Yeah. And I also want to specifically tie that into something I noticed in the movie. Uh, and maybe there's there's a practical element to this. The Rock starts off the third act without a shirt on. Mm-hmm. And then for seemingly no reason, he puts a shirt on at one point. And I was just <laughs> wanting to know, like, is that tied into just, like, you know, practicality uh, for what the film requires? Yeah, some of that. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah basically the answer is yes. Like, yeah, sometimes you just got kind of got to work it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's a, it, it's very interesting how like the script may call for one thing, and then it's like you get to set, and yes. it's like, uh, well, definitely, we got to think on the fly now. You yes, know, something else needs to happen totally, and then you need to like back it into the continuity. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. But that's like the funnest part of filmmaking, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh no, I can only imagine. It's always constantly on set. Like yeah. you're just dealing with unknown elements tackling you left and right. It's not yeah. like you design costumes and then say bye bye okay mm-hmm. off you go <laughs> there's a whole element during filming where you're also needed i imagine yeah 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 and you have a whole team around you that supports you yeah 
That's great. That's really, really awesome to hear. Uh, the movie is called Hobbs and Shaw. It is currently playing in theaters at the moment. And I, I really appreciate hearing uh, this, like I said, this perspective, because a lot of times, Sarah, we're, we're talking to costume designers that are working, like I said, on these lavish period films. So it's, yeah. it's always refreshing to hear that the same level of care and detail and hard work collaboration goes into a modern yeah. day film. And hopefully it can help our audience to appreciate that a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, I love that. <laughs> exactly. Um, what do you have uh, coming up next uh, for your next project? I am currently working on Ryan Murphy's Hollywood. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's so going to be fun. To do a period piece. Yeah, it's going to be amazing. Oh, I'm really, really excited to see that. Yeah. Thank you so much, Sarah, for uh, talking with us today. We really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Absolutely. You have a very nice day. You too. Bye. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to my interview with the costume designer behind Hobbs and Shaw, Sarah Evelyn. You have been listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really, really appreciate your feedback on there. If you rate us five stars, you don't have to leave us a comment, but rate us five stars. It helps for us to get discovered. So please, if you love the show, take a moment to do that. And if you're feeling generous, head on over to Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you can get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time.